And we're back. Oh, man. You know, we always have people do like, you know, uh, feats of strength, so to speak, why, uh, while we're, we're, uh, while we're on break. And I was just amazed. That was like the largest dab I've ever seen anybody do, Leland. That must have been like a three and a half gram chunk. And you didn't cough once. You don't even seem like you're high, man. Yeah, they say I have callous lungs. Callous lungs. <laughs> that that that's it. Part of the warrior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, some people can handle that stuff. I I it, I can't. I really love extract. We were just talking about extract and I love what it's done to the cannabis industry. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's changed the game. So yeah, here we are. It's the real dirt. I'm talking to Matt, Zach, and Leland, also known as Zealand. <laughs> and uh, this is Front Row Ag. We're fixing to get into the nitty gritty. All the questions that my guys out there at Tribe Collective have been asking and want to know about. We're fixing to talk about all of the products. We're going to talk about the technical details on how to use it indoor, outdoor, greenhouse, in the ground, in the pots. We're going to talk about how to put it in a mixing tank, how to put it in a stock solution. Oh man, get your put your put your joints down, pick your pins up, get your, get your notepads ready, and 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 here we go. So, let's start from the beginning. What are what are these products? Yeah, so we have uh, the front row uh, offering starts with uh, Part A. It's uh, basically all of our, our nitrogen, uh, all of our calcium, and a really really healthy micro package. So you have all the essential micronutrients in there, uh, chelated. We typically use two different chelates, uh, EDTA and EDDHA. And uh, it just helps with really high availability and a wide, uh, wide pH range. Then our part B, the bulk of our, our magnesium, um, a lot, a, a good amount of uh, potassium, phosphorus and nitrogen in there as well. And then the, the cool part about our, our part B is that there's a surfactant in there. And then there's also a, a small amount of inclusion rate of uh, citric acid. Um, it acts once the fertilizer goes into solution, whether you're injecting on the fly, uh, putting it in a reservoir, um, however you want to feed. It just uh, it helps the chelates uh, be more active. And in the fertilizer world, we call it uh, kind of a preservative. It helps keep things in solution as well. But a little bit of added value there. So that that's a A and a B, and that's your 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 major MPK. Yeah, that's, that's where the, it all comes from. That's the that's probably the if you're going to refer to a base for like the base of any other nutrient, whether you're looking at like Canna's AB from back in the day, the GH, uh, or even any of our competitors on the dry side, the A and the B is what you're going to use start to finish, uh, whether it's veg or and flour. And then uh, in flour, we have our third product, uh, which is Bloom. Traditionally, the bloom, when you look at the uh, the guaranteed analysis, it looks like it's a, uh, a PK booster, um, which it absolutely is and, and serves as that. Um, but one of the biggest benefits of it is the sulfur and the, uh, the magnesium that we include in our bloom. So it allows us to make really significant and meaningful changes uh, to the calcium to magnesium ratio throughout flower, which is tremendously needed for greenhouses and outdoor. And we'll talk about it is a good amount of sulfur uh, at the beginning of the flowering process as well. So more so than just being a PK booster, I'd say its contributions to sulfur and magnesium are can't be understated. In the fertilizer world, there's a lot of other value-added products um, that uh, do offer great benefits depending on the situation. Um, and that's, that's something we're always willing to talk about. Uh, but another product that Front Row uh, really stands behind and, and created uh, to help, uh, help growers out there from a value standpoint is our silicic acid. So we offer a 10% monosilicic acid as well. That's, that's the SI, right? Yep, the Front Row SI, yep. 
And so the reason huge value in that project product, man, you know, uh, uh, the other SI products or the other silica based type products we sell in liquid form are just so expensive. Like, Oh yeah. And that's you really, when, when we were, when we were looking at the opportunity repetitively, we were just told that we were, we were told that a lot of these other, uh, uh, specifically mono and disilicic acid products, they're great. They work awesome. They do exactly what the, the people say they do, but we can't afford to use them, um, was the, the recurring feedback we would get. And we said, okay, well, it, we know it adds a benefit from strengthening the cell wall, adding some weight, helping with the resistance of, of different uh, bugs and diseases and things like that. Um, but we need to make it affordable and, and something that's a no-brainer for the cultivator um, and a commercial grower. And that was really our aim there, was just to help them out. Uh, but with that, though, I mean, it's a, a tremendously high-quality monosilicic acid. Um, and then a big difference, too, is uh, a lot of the products you'll buy, if they are monosilicic acid, will use a, a propylene glycol uh, carrying agent to help keep it solubilized. We actually use a, an alcohol-based sugar that the plant uh, metabolizes and uses. But then, yeah, and then Leland's going to uh, talk about two of our other products as well. I'm going to pause you here. So it's it's core of this is this AB product that you guys use as the base product from start to finish. And then they're just used at, at different uh, ratios per the, the week or the phase of growth. And then there's a bloom enhancer that's a separate product from the A and B, right? You And that's bloom. Yeah. And that's important right? though, actually. Um, ease of use we talked about earlier. When we designed this product, the A and the B, you talked about how they get used when you make them into a liquid concentrate, which is kind of where we saw the industry going, people buying dosers, injection skids, uh, uh, things of that nature, even making concentrates at their house. Um, the product is used at A and B are always used at equal dilution rates. So at milliliter per gallon, the you know if you use one at 14 mils, the other one gets used at 14 mils, and that's veg through flour. Traditionally speaking, in, in liquid products, right? Uh, whenever you use an injection equipment or make our product into a right. liquid. Um, okay. And then from a dry, yeah, they're used at different gram rates per gallon because mm-hmm. um, from a design of a fertilizer, you have to choose whether when it's made into a concentrate or stays dry, if it's going to be even math on, on which side of that. So the, the, the core products is A and B, the, the bloom and the SI that's, that's the base product line, right? That's what most Correct. of the commercial people are, are buying, but, but there's these other two products you got the, the bioflow and the unleash. Yep. And so that's for people who are taking uh, you know, a biosynthetic approach where they're wanting to encourage that rhizosphere development and um, have more health to their root zone and like avoiding more pathogens. So when people are looking for that solution, we have the Unleash. Um, it's a NPK mobilizing microbe, and it's designed mainly to supply nitrogen to the plant, uh, mobilize any nitrogen that may be fixed and locked out in the medium, as well as doing the same thing with phosphates and uh, converting those phosphates into plant uptakeable forms as well. There's also some other microbes in there that are helping with general disease resistance, uh, as well as making sugars and different enzymes that the plant can use facilitating more of an organic process on top of just the traditional synthetic ion exchange. The other product that we're offering is the BioFlow. So that one's actually really, really cool. And we've seen a lot of killer results with that across the board. It's made to, uh, or it's designed as a irrigation line soak. So it's part of a treatment that you're using in your, uh, your irrigation system. It's all microbial, so it's plant-friendly. So what we're recommending is that people are using it overnight or for like a minimum of four hours in the lines. That way it's breaking down any biofilm that's building up, any kind of nutrient scale. 
uh, and making it into a um, flowable form that in most situations the, isn't going to affect the plant in a negative way. The worst thing you might see from it, if you've got really nasty lines, there might be some chunky stuff that's coming out the first time you use it. That's what you want. Um, and that's what you want. Or it's going to uh, have a really low pH, which is also... Um, you know, sign that it's working. But uh, right. I've seen I've seen that take care of some of the gnarliest irrigation line problems where people wanted to throw throw their whole system away. Hey guys, I know everyone who's listening. We all love the real dirt. I mean, I love the real dirt. But you know what I love even more than the real dirt is actually growing in dirt. That's right, Growers High Porosity Cocoa Formula. That's my potting soil. Man, I've gone through so much trouble and research to build the cleanest, most effective potting soil for growing cannabis. Man, we built all this stuff inside. I break all the pallets, all the raw materials down on on the morning. I push it through our machine. We use a series of conveyor belts. There's no cross-contamination. Everything's machine mixed. It's all made and, and, and uh, mixed by volume. It goes directly into a bag. By the end of the day, everything that we started at the start of the day, all the raw materials, they've turned into bagged product that's all stored inside. Now, the the importance of this is many, many other, every other potting soil company, they don't do it like that. Here's how they do it. They take their raw materials, whether it's cocoa, peat, perlite, forest humus, compost, sand, whatever they got, and they make a huge pile of it outside with big industrial equipment. They use tons of diesel to do this, tons of diesel fuel on the grinders, on the screeners, on the loaders, and they they leave these huge piles out that's just like a petri dish for cross-contamination from weeds, seeds, bugs, whatever, whatever is uh, capable of living in it. And, and, and it does, and it will. And then they take these piles and they bring them into another facility that's probably also not indoors. Very few of them are. They're usually covered tin sheds or something like that. And uh, they, they bag up the potting soil. They wrap it up, pallet it up clean it off nice and pretty and then when it gets shipped to you you think it's this great product but in reality it's just like some dirt on the ground that people have shoveled up and put it in a nice plastic bag and the potential for it to be full with everything from root aphids to fungus gnats to to contaminants it's just it's it's mind-boggling actually at how bad it could be and it's really not that bad comparatively but our product is so clean We go through so much trouble from the RO water to the clean cement to the way that we move all this product around with conveyor belts instead of using big loaders. I mean, I've been making potting soil most of my adult life, and I am now using one-tenth of the petroleum products to make this potting soil. One-tenth, and that's almost all in diesel fuel, all in propane with forklifts. Because of the way that we've situated our plant and and you know made it this really great environmentally friendly weed bug seed free product so check it out man growers coco.com hop on your computer right now go to growers coco.com check out our website if we're not in your community Ask your local grow store. He can get it in. If you're in Colorado or in Oklahoma, man, come to some Cultivates, and we definitely got it. Thanks, guys, and let's get back to the episode. 
these are the core products and, and people use these type of products in all different ways, but the, man, the, 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 the most exciting way, or the, I should say the most conversation we have is with fertilizer injectors. And I kind of like to go right into that on how to, on stock solutions, fertilizer injections and, and, uh, 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 let's let's hop down that rabbit hole, as they like to say. Absolutely, definitely, yeah. And our, uh, I would say that's what our product is uh, designed for specifically. It's great for going direct into res and works awesome for that. Uh, but uh, from a, a original intent, the math behind it, um, we we really saw it being a, a you know great for injection systems. And so the, the products themselves are pretty easy. We have some videos now that you can look up, uh, whether it's on uh, Instagram, uh, probably through Craft Farmer as well, um, and some other resources in terms of watching it happen. But there's a, a, a pound or a gram per gallon that you use to make the stock concentrate. You mix it up and, uh, and then you start injecting at a really, really high level. And we, our instructions, though, are so simple where if you're, say, you're making 55-gallon drums, we tell you to put X amount of 25-pound bags into the 55-gallon drum while you're filling it up, top it off, and then give you instru- instructions to test it uh, to make sure it's accurate and correct. And then you're off to the races from there. So when you have these stock solutions, you have to constantly mix these things up? Like no, a, no, yeah. no, no, no. Okay. Once so it's yeah, made, we, yeah. We've got customers out on, you know, farmland that are, uh, have like totes and large 40 gallon a minute type dosers. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. So yes, totally fine for this, just to, to dump the product in the reservoir, let it sit there. You, you, you don't have to mix it up after it's mixed. Right. After it's mixed, he's yeah, looking at me sideways here. No, no, the, uh, nah, nah, the uh, once, yeah. So as you're as you're putting the the dry powder in the water to make the stock concentrate for the first time, there needs to be agitation and it needs to be mixing, like a, a paddle or or you know a pump or like. Our how- recommendation is is the the weaker the agitation, the longer you need to mix it. Um, if it's mixing vigorously, you'll watch it. I mean, within minutes to seconds, it's in there. But much like mixing salt and water. That's going to get it all to come off the bottom and look like it's swirling around. You need to keep mixing it beyond that for some time just to make sure it's all homogenized and in solution. But everything in it is water soluble. You follow the instructions, it's going to dissolve. So if you find that there's something at the bottom or something isn't mixed, it's probably because you added it too fast or you know hit the bottom or it didn't have water in there first. Uh, we see a variety of different things. Right, but, absolutely. Uh, once so, it's so mixed, what's the best way to mix this product up? If you're telling you know, oh me, Chip, at, 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 at uh, the Baker Ranch, like, hey, how do, I, how do you mix it up at 55 gallons? How do you do it? So, yeah, the, in 55 gallons? No, man, let's say a tote. You ask, you let's ask say me. a tote. Let's say a tote. So the best way is to uh, like uh, Mixer Direct's a company. Uh, you can get online, um, and they make really high-quality industrial mixers that actually go right on top of 250-gallon uh, totes, or they size them for cone bottoms uh, or even barrels. They have a barrel. And what's, 50- that, what's that brand again? Uh, Mixer Direct. I think they're out of Kentucky. Mixer um, Direct. Okay. But uh, that's who we've used for, gosh, probably almost a decade to buy our, our impellers. Um, mm-hmm. But they make them for 55-gallon drums, totes, uh, and and huge vats if you want to. Okay. okay. But I would say ideally you buy a, uh, an impeller from them that's sized for your container. They'll mm-hmm. help you out with that. And then you would fill up the that whatever the container is, a drum, a tote, uh, halfway up with water, start to get it mixing slowly with that impeller um, and the water moving, and then start to add the salt. You'll see the water volume come up. Keep it mixing, add the bags of salt, and then top it off to the volume that is your target, and then check the solution. 
Man, you make it you make it sound so easy, and and the math is on your websites, right? Oh, it's on our mixing charts, it, our website. It, yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's right it's on the everywhere. front of the bag, it's actually, everywhere. in the instructions. It's, it's right on the bag. Yep. So so I can just look up the feed chart for my totes, which are these large. Like, how do you guys? I mean, they come in all sizes. How do you guys say the size? Two hundred gallon or two hundred seventy five? Yeah, or? I always just say it's a two fifty because it's either yeah two twenty five or two seventy five. People just yeah. put up however <laughs> many gallons they want in. It to to stabilize the yep. all right. So yep. like we have two seventy fives and we call them two hundreds and we fill it to the two hundred line. Yep. And so I right? mean one time whether you're a new customer or and you call us like you call Leland or you read the instructions which is very clear. You would have two hundred gallons. You'd be like okay, well in a fifty gallon drum I put in three bags. So in a two hundred gallon uh, tote I'm going to put three times four is twelve bags, and that's it. You you know fill it up to a hundred gallons or so in your two hundred gallon tote slowly start adding the 12 bags while it's mixing uh maybe a little bit of water as you with that displacement and then keep cold water i can use what so two things here there's a little bit this this would be out on the farm man room temperature or or hot but if it's It's better yeah if it's warm it's going to mix better if it's all right what if it's coming right out of the ground yeah, that's many, many of these people, you know, and myself, we have to come right out of the ground into like our, our water storage area. Ideally above 65 or 66, um, but the lower the temperature is, you're just going to have to mix it longer. Yeah, it'll it's, still go in solution, longer, but just mix longer it longer. mixing. You know. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just got to put some time into mixing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're using 58-degree right. water, trust me, it'll go in, but you're going to spend two or three hours mixing that. Right, right. And, <laughs> and with this, with the, with the uh, agitating mixer you were talking about, you just turn it on and walk away. Yeah, I mean, and, and we don't recommend this, but we've uh, we're we're at a, uh, a grow doing a site visit in in Washington a couple weeks ago, and the guy had a, a uh, an impeller on the end of a, a cordless drill. Sure, thirty seconds to a minute. We sat there, uh, and it was definitely mixed in solution. And then we came back about every five minutes and mixed it for fifteen minutes and called it good after. I mean, after about fifteen twenty minutes. Oh, all right. Yeah, and it got mixed three or four times and was good to go. I told him I'd say you know. I would definitely mix it longer, uh, but it validated, it checked out, and that's the tools you had mm-hmm. on hand. Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah, right, right. I mean, you could use a paddle. You just, you know, might have to like, you know, oh, you'll, like you'll sit afternoon. there for a while. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that's how we used to make ice cream, right? People use Mondi pumps in right. the bottom. I mean, yeah. but it's like Leland said, it just lower agitation, longer mixing time, lower temperature, longer mixing time. You can let it sit and mix overnight, or you can heat up your water overnight and mix into warm water. You know, there's there's a couple different ways to solve it. Yeah, generally the recommendation, just because I like things easy, is to try and get the water hot. So if I know that I'm going to have temperature issues mixing my stock tanks, then I'll plan for it because it's something you only have to do every month or two. Right. So is, I could dump all my water out of the well into the stock tanks one day, come back the day later, and it's going to be yep. warmer. And another yeah, another right note is that you'd want to use RO water if you're going to be mixing stock concentrates. Okay. Yep. Just because the carbonates and other minerals that you'll find in the well um, are going to interact with the mix when it's uh, when it's mixed into right, concentrate. So, so yeah. you need to spend some time and get the RO on the stock tanks. Only you know, on the concentrates. But only on the concentrates. And Leland brought right. up a really good point, though, is we do find, too, which is interesting, uh, people will mix smaller volumes for some reason. And once it's mixed in solution, I mean, whether it's weeks or months, unless you're sitting on a freezing cold floor outside or something crazy, it's going to stay in solution for incredibly long periods of time. So mix something that lasts you several weeks to a month, a month and a half, mm-hmm. not something you have right. to make every other day. Yeah, a- absolutely. So we've got our we've got our stock tank. We have our 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 totes. They're out on the farm. They're on the back forty. 
Uh, literally, that's what we call it, the back 40. We're on the back 40. I thought this was someone else's fault. And <laughs> quote, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing for sale here. Everything's legal. Yep. And then um, we're, we're w- picking w- our w- injectors w- of choice. Um, right. You know, Dostron kind of sets the standard in the game. Um, yeah, uh, we've used it all. That's what we use currently. We sell them every single day at uh, Cultivate Colorado. We're probably one of their largest vendors for it. So. Yeah, we love I know. It. You have set up many a happy customer with those trons. I have seen that. Yeah, I think we were, what we were talking about today. It's the the a good injection range is anywhere from 0.2 percent up to the two percent injectors, which is like the D14s they make. Yep. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the MZ2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's a great great little workhorse. But uh, yeah, so as far as injection goes, if you're following our instructions, um, you're injecting at around a one to two fifty ratio. So that's sitting you anywhere between, uh, you know, like around 20 to 22 milliliters per gallon in veg, if you want to look at it like you would typical liquid nutrients, all the way to like if you're using all three parts in flour, uh, we'd be closer to 10 to 15 milliliters. So it's uh, got a little bit of a range and mixing into liquid makes it easier to make those adjustments if you wanted to, if you're looking to be hitting a target EC after everything's mixed, it's all being used at a one-to-one ratio. So, you know, if you're using 14 mils of A, using 14 of B, 14 of bloom. So, you know, the, you, you just mentioned something. Many of our customers do use Dositrons and they're a great, you know, siphoning uh, injection system. There's many other types. And, and one of the types that we frequently see customers come in, they have like a, a high rate of one to one hundredth or just a set rate of one to one hundredth when they come in. How mm-hmm. do you use your product that way? Leland, yeah. I was yes, going to say, dude, Leland actually, and the only reason I was interrupting him is because he, uh, he helped build some of the sheets for uh, for our fixed injection rates. Great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, this um, comes up every day because question, almost every day. Yeah, so assuming that you're mixing our formula to our instructions, um, it's coming at it around a one to a 250, maybe one to 200 ratio. So you're literally just going to be cutting our application rates in half. If you have a fixed injection rate of 1 to 100, or if it's a 1 to 350, which is pretty common too, then you can mix our concentrates even more even more concentrated. Uh, we're only at about 20 to 30% of our maximum solubility. Right. So okay, you can mix it even stronger if you want. It's going to be... If it's a 1 to 100th injector, mm-hmm. how do you mix it? So you're going to uh, take our recommended rates and just cut that in half. So if we're recommending for a 55-gallon drum and you're adding four bags of A to mix your stock concentrate, you're just going to add two bags of A. All right, now, one thing, one thing to note if you're going to be doing that and mixing at a lower concentration is that you're probably only going to have about two weeks to a month of usage rate out of that concentrate. Since it's at that lower rate, it's, uh, sure. it's gonna eat stuff, it can, stuff yeah. can start growing in there a little easier, yeah. Yeah, I think what Leland's trying to say too is it's probably smarter to then go through it faster because yep. it's because it's so dilute, but you're injecting twice as much. All uh, oh, right, because yep. it's I, I see, I yep. see. Because there's a preservative issue associated with all the product too, so this Pretty way much. there's more water in it. And, yeah, at a, well, at a specific. Right. In our typical stock concentrate, you could put it in a clear in a clear jug, uh, and nothing will grow in it because the pH is so low and there's mm-hmm. so much uh, fertilizer in it. Now you start cutting right, it, and right. it's a prime area for anything to grow in it. Mm-hmm. Petri dish. Okay, There's- so that's how we make stock concentrates for reservoirs. What if I want to make a gallon stock concentrate to be to be used out? Is it the same way? Same way. Same yep. way. You can have- Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say uh, our five pound instructions for um, uh, either smaller commercial facilities or your hobbyist, it's the same instruction sheet that we have. You know, instead of being in a 
in a 55 or 50 gallon drum it's in a five gallon uh bucket and uh or you know or uh, one of the old uh liquid nutrient uh five gallons you've kept uh people make them in that all the time yeah those are great because then you can just sh- well the two and a halfs are great because you can shake it up shake a- it up and, that, and our instructions too now are, are we try to avoid using a scale to make the stock concentrate because it's easier and faster. We say X amount of bags for X amount of gallons. Sure. And, absolutely. Then, and then check it. And it's either, if it's too strong, cut yeah. it a little bit. On the smaller scale, you have to weigh it out. Yeah. It will, yeah. And you can, you, you can. Yeah, you can. Right, 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 right. And then they had that stock gallon or two and a half gallon. And then they, they take that and there's instructions also on your website on how to use that stock solution by the tablespoon or the mill yeah, the milliliter. in their reservoir. Uh-huh. Yep. Same, yeah. Same way we're used to. Yeah. Right. Same way they used to. All right. So you're basically making your own fertilizer yeah, right at a, home or at your, you know, at your grow, you bring in dry powder, which is easier to get in, which is more cost effective. It's better for the world. You're making your own stock concentrate that you're keeping in your own one gallon, two and a half gallon, five gallon, 55 gallon, 200 gallon. And uh, then you get to use it, you know, at will. You can use it with a uh, injection system at uh, varying injection rates or by the milliliter or tablespoon per gallon in a traditional reservoir. You can go right out of the bag dry, right into your reservoirs as well. Yeah, let man, let because you don't have to make a stock concentrate. No, you do not. And, right. and uh, I would say- <clears throat> Most people don't. As, exactly. As much as I want people to uh, to inject and make our stock concentrate and enjoy that, I would say a super majority of our customers actually go right out of the bag into a reservoir like we all did. One thing I wanted to mention on shipping costs that is uh, kind of mind-boggling is on a pallet of liquid product, you can fit 200 gallons uh, on that pallet, we, or 250 if you order a tote. We can put the equivalent in dry of 2,000 gallons of stock concentrate that fits on that same pallet. And then also typically our shipping costs, uh, instead of shipping that weight of water, and then because of the units, it's about five to 10 times cheaper in shipping as well. Shipping, it's, uh, it's such an economic cost and an environmental cost, man. There's more than one way to care about the environment than just growing organically. And it's it's uh, shipping and packaging, you know, movement of people and materials over space and time. Man, we really got to think about that as an industry and as businesses. They, one, it makes us more money the more effective we are with it. But it's better for the world. Keep telling Zach to stop flying his private jet everywhere. Oh, Zach, what kind of jet you got? Can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going, leading off of that, and I guess this is something that I – like to focus on a lot is that uh, us compared to uh, some of our competitors um, to reach a desired outcome of uh, of your EC. A lot of these other companies that are powdered dry fertilizers, you're having to hit numbers, sometimes double the amount of the input that you can reach a high or desired EC than with ours. So let's just say by chance, you know, it's competitor A or whatever it is to reach 2.0 EC, you're using, let's just say, four grams across the board, each of ours, well, you have to use six or eight, even even more grams per gallon to reach that 2.0 EC. So not only are you having a savings originally when you buy our product, not only from dry to dry, but also dry to liquid, but then on top of it, the savings comes in from the amount that you use grams per gallon or mLs per gallon to equal your desired uh, EC. And we do, we hear that all the time as well. I had to use this product at a 3.0 EC and I only use yours at a 2.4 or 2.5. And uh, and you'll compare the product and it's well, at 2.4, we have the same PPM of nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, and meaningful things. 
But in order to achieve those same rates of micros or even macros, they have to use substantially more conductivity to get the same amount of uh, same amount of product that we offer. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about Cultivate OKC, Cultivate Colorado. You know, I got into the uh, hydroponic supply business in um, 2009. I had wanted to open up a retail hydroponic store for years, and I, I was already making potting soil at that point, maybe some fertilizers and some other stuff I was into. You know, I ha- hadn't opened up a retail shop, and I got this opportunity to open one up in California. Right as I was fixing to open up down in Riverside, Colorado came along. Ended up being better, bigger opportunity. Opened up our Colorado stores and, you know, man, it's just, we've been off to the races ever since. Now we're in Colorado and in Oklahoma. We ship all over the country and even the world, man. It's amazing that the people that call us, contact us, that, that needs, that needs some, some, some equipment to grow uh, their fine cannabis with. So if you need any help, any equipment, if you want to come to a great grow store where people uh, don't judge you, we're not click oriented, we're just there to help you grow, man, come see us at Cultivate. Cultivate Colorado, we're uh, on exit 206, I-25, we're also on the Stapleton Monaco exit there on uh, I-70, and down in Oklahoma City, our newest store, and man, probably our nicest showroom right now, is uh, we're um, right on the corner of 10th and Meridian, so come check us out, 1101 North Meridian. Yeah, man, got any questions about growing, no matter if you're big or small, just come on in. Be glad to chat with you. So we get the stock tank uh, solution question all the time. We get this question of, do I have to make a stock tank? No, you can go right from the powder into your reservoir. Man, and the other like like thing people talk to us about, especially here in uh, Oklahoma, but also with hemp growers throughout the U.S., is like how to use it outdoor and in the ground. Yeah, that's, right. a, that's a great question. Um, part of uh, kind of like our water testing, um, one thing that we do or we look at and we offer and and one of uh, the partners at Front Row is an agronomist by trade uh, is we read and, and analyze your soil tests. Any farmer uh, that's going to grow outside or cultivator that's going to grow outside and wants to put their plants in the ground. The first thing we recommend is hiring a company like uh, like Waypoint, uh, for instance, testing your soil. Just taking a, a standard soil test and going out there and figuring out, okay, what's my salinity, my pH, my organic composition, uh, my pounds of nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, everything out there. Uh, and then we'll actually look at that with the, with the farmer or the grower and we'll say, okay, well, you already have this amount of nutrients in the field based on how much the crop is going to use from the, and the length of your crop. This is what you'll need to start amending with our product at some point. And same thing again, though, they can make it into a liquid concentrate and inject it in their drip system. They can put it in giant reservoirs and, you know, use it on sprinkler heads, whether it's a center pivot or actual heads. At that point, we see a variety of different things. But we always start with them on a soil test because they might have no food in their in their field uh, and need, a, a, you know, fertilizer from all of our products. Or they might only need one of our products for two weeks at the end because the field is r- super rich in fertilizer already. Another point to add to that is um, a lot of people like to kind of give salts a bad name, wrecking the earth and polluting 
the water with nitrates and phosphates. Because that it. used to be the case. They used to have inferior quality fertilizer, Absolutely. but that's not what you guys have. No, like this isn't an ammonia-based fertilizer. Um, you know, like we do, we do uh, rely on some synthetic nitrates. That's the majority of products out there, even if they're claiming to be organic. There's not a lot of soluble forms of calcium out there that don't include a nitrate with them. So that being said, uh, we're delivering about 20% less nitrogen to a field as a conventional farmer would recommend and doing that with uh, the most practical, responsible uh, forms of irrigation possible. So like, we'll always be recommending a drip system to be go- going into a field. That way we can deliver precise amounts of irrigation, know exactly what the roots are getting in terms of the fertilizer um, and not just trying to do a broad application, even though it will work in conventional systems. And I'd rather somebody be doing that than throwing, I'd rather somebody use 250 pounds of front row per acre than, and spend a little bit more money versus throwing 200 pounds of ammonium nitrate on the field and hoping for the best. So you're going to get as much nitrogen out of our system with our drip system or subterranean system, delivering water directly to the root zone. And uh, I mean, there's guys who, conventional corn farmers and wheat farmers who have watched hemp growers row crop and do really, really well with plastic mulch and a drip system to the point where they've gone through and done in the next year for their heirloom strains and hit record yields out of their fields. It's something that it's on the forefront of agriculture. If you don't see it, if you see it as a problem, look at it as a solution to a problem and a transition into a more responsible way to farm. Well, ROI comes in so many different ways on a exactly. farm. That's yep. for sure. And, and, you know, one of the ways we see many organizations have problems, uh, uh, cultivations, they'll reorganize their facility. They'll bring somebody in as a manager or CFO. And the first thing he wants to do, the easiest thing he wants to do to make himself look good. Hey, you guys are in this position. Either don't do it or recognize that it's happened. The first thing they do is like, we're going to cut our production costs and we're going to get the cheaper shit. And man, you know, there's one thing in getting the same thing, the exact same product at a better discount from a vendor. But like when you, when you say you're going to get a cheaper product, there's outcomes that you pay for, right? And that 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 cheap product, you know, you will lose out in time and weight, right? Time, the most crucial part of it, right? But by using these, these higher quality cannabis specific dry soluble fertilizers, just like front row ag, man, that ROI comes back immediately within 90 days. As soon as you harvest, you know, especially on large scale, it comes back. Oh yeah. And if you're spending less than 1% of the gross revenue that your product brings in on fertilizer, uh, then you're, you're exactly where you need to be. And I would say we're well, well below that. And so there are products you should spend money on though, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a place you should stop like, like uh, Leland brought up in terms of fertilizers you shouldn't spend your money on as well. Yeah. So, so we're talking outdoor in the ground. What about outdoor in pots? Yeah. Same thing. We, uh, yeah. Same thing. Personally, I mean, I run some pretty large, uh, outdoor grows in pots. Oh yeah. I'm a container grower. I love it, man. We do 45 and 50 gallon pots. Uh, we use, uh, 12 foot metal stakes. We drive into the ground, put up uh, a shade ourselves and then run trails. And it's kind of like growing an indoor plant, huge outside. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, eight foot by six foot centers. Oh wow! On forty gallon pots, so yeah. you're like you're like feeding it, feeding it constantly with with uh, front row. Yeah, beginning well, beginning of the season, we we like to definitely let our plants dry down in terms of uh, letting the roots spread, promoting oxygen in the soil uh, at the at the sites that we're running. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the plant goes in, typically coming out of a one gallon into that one part, well, large pot, and it's going to dry down for several weeks uh, between its first irrigation and watering in and its second one. And then pretty rapidly, the irrigation events get quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. And at some point in flower, we're watering, you know, sometimes every day to every couple of days in those giant pots still. I mean, you have some plants that are easily six to eight feet tall and trellised out, if not still 10 feet tall. I love containers of all size, but you know, the thing, the great thing outside about like that 30, 45 gallon container is, you know, you really get to feed it like an indoor plant. You know, you, you, you can get them huge, but I I like the smaller plants and, and we've even run like four plants in a four, 40 gallon pot, you know, four foot tall. And it just be this, I mean, the, some of the highest weight we've ever seen, honestly, you know, especially out of a pot, but uh, it, it far beat the just single huge monster plant out of it. But yeah, we, 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 so small containers, big containers, it doesn't matter. You can, you can, you use the same, same fertilizer rates as you would indoors. Well, I mean, and this is important, actually, we internally, we've been talking about this is how to address different feed charts and pot sizes and things of that nature. And, uh, without going down a giant rabbit hole, generally the, the larger and larger and larger the pot gets and the longer time you have between an irrigation event, you need to increase the EC pretty proportionately too. You know, so if you're in a five gallon to a 25 gallon, there needs to be a substantial increase in the conductivity you're feeding in, in the start of that schedule and how it tapers down. And then the other thing is, is when there's a large amount of time uh, between irrigating and you're using a high quality fertilizer that's acidic, the pH is going to drive down as well. Uh, so you need to actually feed at a higher pH as well. Higher but, pH meaning? Well, you know, so a lot of time, you know, if you're feeding at say 2.0 and a, a 6 a 6.0 pH, uh, a 2.0 EC and a 6.0 uh, and you're in a three gallon, but say then you step it up even into a, a five gallon and you're feeding at 2.4 you already should be feeding at maybe like a, a 6.2 or a 6.3. And then if you're transplanting and, and when we transplant into five gallons or even seven gallons, we'll feed as high as 2.8, 3.0 easy. And at that point, our pH is, you know, 6.5 to 6.7. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but still we'll watch it uh, dry down for 20 some days between that, that really heavy irrigation and sticking the clone and you'll get the runoff and it'll be in the low to mid fives actually by the time we would irrigate again. And that's mm-hmm. how far it's come down. But if you fed that plant in at 6.0, oh, I mean, the pH would be in the really, really low fives to high fours, and the plant wouldn't look good. Like directly proportionally, somebody's going to make a graph someday of, you know, the dryback of given media's cocoa, rock wool, peat moss, even probably different soil blends, um, showing uh, as they dry back X amount of percent, 10%, the EC is going to go up by 10% as well. And the pH is going to decrease by X amount of percent, depending on the components of the fertilizer. So as your media dries out and the plant leaves some of those uh, ions on the table that are registering a charge, the water becomes more concentrated, so to speak. So if you're going in at two, four, and like Matt said, by the time uh, the plant's ready for another drink, there's probably a lot of unused fertilizer still left in that uh, source water or stuff that's been displaced and exchanged with the media that you're either going to be rinsing out or rehydrating with the plant uptake. A misconception too in uh, in growing conta- uh, potted liner is, I guess, from an, an, an use an ag term, uh, yeah. anything that's in a container, whether it's a, a one gallon to a 200 gallon. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's been a misconception in the cannabis industry, but there's no other plant that's grown this way in a potted liner, or you'll open a book that tells you to grow it this way, which is start off at a lighter, uh, a lighter feed solution and increase it as the plant gets more mature and drinks faster. Every plant that's in a, in a potted liner would be recommended from a pure root source to be watered in a way that 
when the dry down's longer and to let the roots uh, spread fastest and the plant to grow at the fastest rate, you want there to be the highest availability of food when it when there's the longest amount of time between irrigating. Then as the plant starts to drink faster and faster and faster and faster, and you water it more and more often, you cut the feed solution so you don't burn your crop. And that would be how any period root source would actually tell you to grow rhododendrons or, or right. uh, roses or chrysanthemums. So opposite of the way that the cannabis industry does, which is like start it off soft and then jack it. Yeah. Right. It's jacket crazy. and then go soft. And you'll see our feed charts though. Our feed chart, <laughs> right. whether it's a, a two gallon or a three gallon feed chart, or we were telling you to grow in a large pot, it's going to start off at a, a high conductivity and taper mm-hmm. off as you irrigate more rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have noticed that on your, your formulation and, and I've had people ask me about it and I'm like, I don't know, just follow the chart. Everybody does it. It works. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> no, it's a good answer. And you know, uh, I mean, you know, I've been I've been involved in agriculture my whole life and I was had this really inquisitive phase where I wanted to know reasons for everything and and there's just too much question in the world and so I've had to like reduce like where I want my brain power to be. Right? And sometimes I just like I don't know it works, I don't care. Right. Cause I got my brain power on something else yep. that to me might be more important. And I don't necessarily want to like know like everything about, you know, a, a bug or a fertilizer. Um, even though I'm yeah. interested in all of that. You, don't yeah. Get me you wrong. wish you could, just, but you got to you know, move past yeah, it. Yeah. You yeah. just got to, got to move past it. For instance, you know, people ask me all the time about, Hey, can you identify this bug? And I'm like, no, but I can tell you what can take care of it. Yep. Right. <laughs> you know, cause it's also solution oriented and that's back to the, like, follow the feed chart. Everybody says it works. Just do what they say. Yep. Right. So outdoor, in the ground, outdoor in the pots, you know, greenhouse in the pots, same as outdoor in the pots, right? Yeah, I mean, greenhouse, indoor, indoor. Uh, outdoor. I mean, it's a lot all of containers. A lot of for us is understanding your environment too. Like, we'll talk to you when you when you call Leland or Farmer John or, or any of the guys, myself included. Uh, we'll be we'll we'll talk to you about well, what's your lighting intensities? How dry is your room? How humid is it? Uh, you know, what's going on in the space and and the pot size, the media you're growing in. And we'll talk about all these different things and have a discussion instead of just, you know, being your normal consultant that says, here's what you have to do and you got to do it now and never mm-hmm. listens to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, I'm, when, when we're done with this, we'll go next door and you can, you can <laughs> tell us how to do it, man. <laughs> My wife has a uh, clone nursery and dispensary just right next door. It's uh, Baker's Medical. It's in OKC. We'll go over there next. You guys Plants can show beautiful. me. Yeah, you saw it earlier. That's right, Matt. Um, we'll we'll go over there, and you guys can give me like a detailed on what we're doing. We've got some like random things. You know, we're just like, oh, the plants don't look healthy. Change this, uh, that. We'll look and see what the mills of everything are currently, and you guys can give me some ideas. Yeah, we'll rock through it. Right. The technical advice is, has been in, incredible here. We, we've talked about stocks, tanks, we've talked about reservoirs, indoor, outdoor greenhouse, man. And we've talked about pH significantly, but I, I really want to talk about this because this is something that confuses people. And like here in, in Oklahoma, the pH out of the, out of the ground or out of the tap is like 8.5 often. And, you know, like what's the best way to deal with pH in your product and, and or, or some of the ways are the best ways to accomplish this. In, in terms of pHing the product when you're using it? pH in the product you're using it. Or if you're in a situation that's like a large scale out, out, uh, outside where you can't necessarily pH it or, well, or how do you deal with it? Well, I would check your, your PPM. So if you're if you're historically, if you have a high pH in your source water and when I mean high pH is above eight. 
there's a lot of carbonate and bicarbonate in the water. About 50% of the water is going to be carbonate bicarbonate. So if you have 400 part per million water, 200 part per million of that uh, 8 to 8.5 or 9 pH is going to be carbonate bicarbonate. And that's important though, because that's easy to get rid of. You can put it in holding tanks and actually just use acid and precipitate off all that bicarbonate. Um, and that's uh, filtering your water through acid injection, basically. And then the other thing is, is understanding what the remainder of that water is. Um, if it's calcium or magnesium. What kind of acid? Uh, you could use uh, phosphoric acid, sulfuric acid. Uh, yeah, you can use lysergic if you have enough of it. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that would be my choice. But yeah, you can go. Um, long, but you don't want that to go down. If you're concerned no. about no, you'd, have, you'd be using like four grams a gallon. <laughs> Not very cost effective. <laughs> but no, yeah. And if you are concerned about cost, uh, sulfuric acid is probably the cheapest. Yeah, and it's co- sulfuric acid is common in the agricultural industry, right? Oh, all oh, the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Pick it up absolutely. in a lot of places. Um, but that's what I would I would look at first is uh, what is what's what's my water? You know, what is that four hundred or or eight hundred part per million? Because a lot of the time it's not a big deal. Uh, you can get rid of you know half of the bad things in it with acid, um, and then you, uh, you some of the remainder of it you can probably use. Right, and so you you just like have a big holding tank, drop the pH with sulfuric acid, and uh, the bicarbonate drops out of solution. It actually turns into CO two and off gases. Oh, okay, oh. excellent. So you don't even have any reservoir sediment at the bottom of your tank. No, no, and then yeah. uh, and do you have to drop your pH to any level for that, or just Around uh, below five is, is recommended. Um, yeah. it, it, that's a really loose recommendation because say someone is using RO water, which is not pertinent in this conversation, it would take such a small amount to get it to be down, go down. Um, yeah. But in, in high pH water, I would say get it below five and then check it often. Um, about every hour to three hours, if you check it, right. you'll start to watch the pH drift upward. Uh, and that's your acid actually working and precipitating off the carbonate. But if it keeps drifting up, it means that there's not enough in there. So you want it to hold pH, actually. Okay. Um, so so you, you drop it to five, and then it holds pH at? It should stay around five, but oh, you'll okay. watch it go up okay. and then uh, add a little more uh, acid and get saying. it to stay there. I see. Yep. And then when you reuse it in your reservoir, you just add, uh, you just, uh, uh, then you you increase the pH or well, the fertilizer? Uh, I, would, I would keep track of how much you use. Uh, the first couple times, because then you'll probably use about that same amount of acid every single time. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, if there's not, if you haven't used an excessive amount, run it into your injectors and then use pH up to correct it. You'll have added enough acid to precipitate off the bicarbonate, but there won't be a lot left over to ruin the water quality. So then just run it into your injectors and use pH up would be my recommendation. And at that point, we recommend potassium carbonate um, for the pH up. Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. Just like table chart. You're, 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 you're mixing them immediately with the dositrons. Yeah, if you're doing injectors. that or if you're going in a reservoir, pump it into a giant reservoir, throw in the fertilizer, uh, and then adjust the pH just like you would yeah, with anything like else. Normal, normal. Right. But ideally, ideally, if you're you know if you're on a well and you're having to condition your water beforehand, um, you can get it to where you've got the perfect ratio of bicarbonate. That way you don't have to pH anymore. And you can kind of set it and adjust based on how heavy you're going to be feeding and no, I'm, I'm adding less acidity later on in my cycle. So I'm going to need a little bit more aggressive of a pHing. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great tip. I was trying to get to that earlier. So yeah. like, you know, you, it, you, the, the best thing to do is to, to drop it down to five initially and get it to go up to six. Yeah. If, you, if you're anticipating it's going to rise by 10% or so, yeah. um, you know, if that's what you've seen, it's everybody's going to have a different experience sure. with the water, 
water is pretty fickle. It's, and like you know, I'm saying, the, the, so the, the fertilizer takes about 80 to 120 part per million bicarbonate carbonate mm-hmm. to pH it, like he's saying, to about, you know, and that's if you're feeding anywhere from 1.6 up to 2.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll take between 80 and 120 uh, part per million. But if you leave some amount in there, then uh, you won't need pH up. It'll just come out and it'll sure. adjust, adjust sure. perfectly. Sure. No, I get it, man. Oh, man, that's a great tip for so many people. It's water come out of Boulder and pH. Yeah, because yeah, that would be about right. Uh, somewhere in like the, you would want it to drift up to like the mid sixes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah, I have, I have the lucky water. Yeah. I had, I had a front row at like 2.2 EC. My water goes down to about 5.9. And it'll usually be resting at about six three, which for me is perfect uh, watering daily in cocoa. So many growers in Oklahoma are going to just rewind this past eight minutes and listen to this pH thing. This is such a crucial issue here because the water quality and then the bug pressure, right? And as soon as you get you know off pH, you know the bug pressure comes in, the mold comes in, and it, it's you know your yields are going down and your water consumption's changing. And it's like pH is just so crucial and it's often min- misunderstood. So many people don't think you need to adjust the pH, especially if you're using organic ingredients. And maybe there's some argument for that, but most people that's not the case at all. You have to control your pH no matter what your fertilizer source. Right. In some Absolutely. way, it's got to balance each other out, right? Uh, acidity and alkalinity, or you have to force the balance. Yeah. Right? The, the, the soil's got to control the pH or the water's got to control the mm-hmm. pH, but one of them has to. Yeah. One of them has to. You have to know what it is. It's one of the most important things about growing cannabis. And, and we can also, like you said, you said, if they keep rewinding it, we can, if they just go on to the website and uh, we leave their information, put an email in there. Matt, I'm sure I can write up a candid email about this and then be able to send it off. And so people have that as oh, written yeah. up. And I'll have, I'll have this conversation all day. That was, that was eight minutes of my life right there. So we can, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm down guys, reach out. Yeah. And then back to using your water, I think, um, to be clear, uh, the, the worst water contaminant that we're looking for is sodium usually. I mean, we look for mm-hmm. heavy metals, but yeah, they're right. rare. We'll look for nitrates cause they're not good for people, but, uh, when we, when Leland and I get a, a water report, nine times out of 10, we're looking for sodium and we check out ca- uh, the calcium magnesium rates. But if your water starts to get above 30, 40 part per million sodium, that's, that's going to, no matter what you're using, it's going to start affecting your quality in some shape or form. But if it's not there and it's bicarbonates and calcium and magnesium and, and other things, it's, it's very usable water. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, man, I think it's a perfect time to take a break. This has been the, re- and is, this is The Real Dirt. And today is The Real Dirt with Front Row Ag. Hey, uh, roll up another fat one. Uh, look up one of my websites, cultivatecolorado.com, realdirt.com, growerscoco.com. Or, hey, man, we're talking about Front Row Ag. Look up frontrowag.com.